my headphones aren't really working. Uh, well, this one is. This one isn't because um, uh, it got sat on by a big hairy dog, and I so I cleaned it. So I didn't want to stick something dirty in the ear holes. But now it's made this one not work. So that's a shame. Oh, but it doesn't. It doesn't affect it. It's okay. I can still hear just fine. Cracking. Cracking, you're coming out good. Coming out good, Sheppy. Yeah. We get, I think we're going to have yes. an epic ep today, so I think we should just bloody smash in. What do you think? Um, I, I'm, I'm well up for it. I'm well up for it, Jimbo. Uh, yeah, yeah, bring it on. I'm, I'm, I'm in it to win it. I'm very excited. Cool, Willick. Welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. Hello, I am Sheppy. And uh, today we've got a special ep. It's not focusing on on one movie, Sheppy. We're we're gonna bounce around a bit based on the challenge I set last time. And actually, we're still if, we're probably gonna have to keep doing a little who we are and what we do, right? Because someone, keep, someone will come in ep two hundred and then then do the back catalog. You're optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, no, absolutely. Like Stanley always said, treat every issue of any comic as if it's some readers first, because it probably is. So, nice. yes, what is Shoulders of Giants all about, Jim Blatt? See if I can get this under 10 minutes. So <laughs> we are basically, <laughs> we celebrate all things, uh, well, so far, all things movie, Sheppy. We're coming up with sequels, alternate realities, um, different cuts of the same. I really have not. <laughs> I should have known this First of all, so far only movies. I mean, we've done TV as well a couple of times. We did have God, uh, we did. you suggested it. All right. <laughs> Different cuts. I don't I don't know. <laughs> Someone's been hashtagging bring back the Jimbo cut. <laughs> I mean, it's just alternative uh, sequels, basically, in it. I mean prequels as well, but to keep it clean, yes. Um sequels uh what ifs, what could have been but never was, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I like it. But today is our second uh, special episode, uh, which is nice. The first was around episode 10. This one I respect because we're so close to episode 20, but we're not doing it every decade. It's like, no, no, it's like 17 or something, whatever. I like that. I respect that. And also, I mean, you, where did this idea come from? Well, first of all, what is this special? Because again, we just explained what the podcast is, but it's not actually this episode. So what is this episode going to be, Jimbo? And where did this idea spring from? Well, Sheppy, then I'm going to just say three things quickly. Um, before I get to your two questions, the first thing, which is a lovely point you've just made, this is happening at 17. Like, What I really respect about a lot of the shows right now on Netflix, etc., is that, you know, particularly something like A Master of None, which is a comedy show, and actually Ted Lasso's doing it now as well, where they'll just have an episode that's 50 minutes. They won't care. They go where the story is and where the energy is and where the flow needs to be. So that's exactly where we are. Um, and I guess just to that point, man, it just popped in there. It just popped in there as an idea um, for me. Like, so we're, we're going to do loose ends um, today, and a loose end popped into my mind. And, it, and I guess... Um, the, the loose end that popped into my mind was Scrooged, and I think we discussed it at the end of last step. But in case those that um, those that are coming to this is the first time, it's just a very well. Tiny... They couldn't be bothered to listen to the previous one. Which is... <laughs> um, so the, uh, the 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 little silly thing that popped in my mind, which has literally stuck with me for about thirty years, was just at the end of Scrooged. Bill Murray is having his um, 
his uh, his moment of revelation and uh, and uh, they want a blanket just here. <laughs> And, and, and he's having a lovely live moment on air and he's talking to lots of people and setting all of his rights wrong. And he uh, he has a moment, you know, via the television to his brother where he says, you know, you've got everything right. I think his brother's called James. You're everything right, James. Apart from one thing, what was the ship that sailed them all to Gilligan's Island? The SS Minnow. And he's previously observed him answering that question as he's visiting him as a ghost of Christmas present. How could he possibly know this? And, in that moment, they cut to the brother's house and the brother and the family, while the world is celebrating, Bill's reuniting with his brother, the brother and family are like, how the hell did he know? This is amazing. It's just You can only assume that they think that he bugged the VHS that he gave them for Christmas and then he's got them wiretap. That's just that's the only explanation. And then it's going right. to never trust and it's going to drive a wedge between them. And whereas he's Frank Cross is now embracing the rest of the world and they're embracing him. He's spreading this lovely message of love and love your brother. His, his brother is never going to speak to him again. Uh, so I like that. <laughs> That's my take, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you tie the loose end. I like that. I think that is a good expert. I think it's probably the only one, Sheppy. The only other way I could tie up that loose end was then to think maybe he actually says to him, look, I I, I did do a drive-by because I wanted to see what you guys were up to and I was feeling all lonely. And then he was like a kid at the meat shop, you know, head pre- or book bakery, you know, head pressed against the window. Meat and he shop. Heard it. <laughs> I've got to have a sausage. <laughs> I've done that. I mean, we've all been there, surely. Nose pressed up against the butchers. I don't know why I went meat shop, man. This is going to be a spectacular podcast. I was thinking of like a big roast turkey and I went meat shop. I don't know why, but anyway. Get me a goose. The biggest goose in all of London. Yeah. But on, you see, coming back full circle. It's all right. I like it. <laughs> and that just has been, that stayed with me for 30 years, right? And I, so it was a niggle. It was a thing. And I thought, I'll just throw that in with Sheppy. And then, I thought maybe it could be a fully fledged ep where we just think about the loose ends that we've um, that, that we'd like to tie up, and this is oh, not really about um, a major flaw in a movie, right? So it's just not. Uh, well, maybe it is. It doesn't. It's really another matter. what if. It's yeah, it, yeah. It's like just literally like you know they they left it dangling as it were, and it's just like what where where could that go? What could that mean? What could the characters involved you know make of this? particular situation or is it implying a certain backstory um which we as the audience are not aware of that's that's basically one of mine great job i'll tell you um it's like yeah we the audience are not given certain information deliberately and it's it's just left hanging there like a thread and it's, it's tasty stuff I like it and, a lot. And I love what you're saying there because I think there's so many nuances to the loose end. It could be the backstory missing or the forward story or the follow-up or the whatever, like, you know. So I just, I think, um, you know, I have avoided biggies, Sheppy, like, you know, the Back to the Future Biff returning to 2015 and trying to explain that today. For me, like, we can go off on one of Back to the Future in a future trip for me, probably. Well, okay. Um, I mean, just to be clear, you're saying you're talking about in two, Back to the Future 2 when old man Biff comes back to 2015 after stealing the DeLorean, going back to 1955, giving young Biff from Back to the Future 1 the almanac. And then your loose end here is what? How does he get what? Well, he is arriving. We see a specific 10 seconds or something where he arrives back to that yeah. 2015. 2015. 
So why, how does he get back to the 2015? Because he's already changed well, the past. Yeah. Should go to the alternative 1985. Yeah, yeah. that's not what you said. That's just a, a mistake. But you know what? It's fair enough because it's that sort of, I mean, back to the future, especially, and especially into the sequels, there's a lot of stuff, like a lot of stuff, like, which doesn't doesn't work and it, it you know some things are lone pine mall and some things haven't happened yet but then that speaks to your cool theory about this is like the 10 millionth time marty's done this and it keeps changing and it keeps changing mm. and i don't know if zemeckis and gail ever thought about this um this is a bit of a fan wake but it's it's solid and i like it so um yeah also, did you know there's a little extra moment after, this is irrelevant really, but when Biff gets back to 2015 and he's all in pain and stuff, and you don't, that's kind of a loose thing, because you're like, why is he in pain? Um, and he's like, and he leaves his, you know, his staff in the, in the car and everything. There's, the scene continues for like another 15 seconds or so. It's cut, maybe because it was too much for Lucent or like, what? but he collapses on the floor and old Biff and he fades away like Marty was going to in the first one. Um, And in the amazing making of or uh, behind the scenes type thing hosted by Kurt Cameron, which was on my back to the future video trilogy. And it had this terrible, terrible thing, which was produced in like 1990. It showed that clip and then they explained it um, by saying, the idea was, and it was never ever going to be explained, but the basic idea was sometime in the 90s, Lorraine shoots Biff. Um, and, and so he is erased from the future because he's changed the past. So, so that, that's nice. And again, it's irrelevant. It still doesn't make sense why he would get back to that 2015. But I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. Nice chefs. Well, look, I think this is... so. I. <laughs> I want it well something that's gonna um this is easily editable, so I will chop that out in a sec, Sheps. But I wonder whether in a minute I'm just gonna do a little bit more intro. But should we just quickly say the movies we're gonna touch on by way of a tease for uh, the guys like an agenda or do you want to keep it a surprise? Okay, I think, yeah, right. I mean again, because I'll say this, and you don't have to cut this out, I don't think. It's a little peek behind the curtain, it's tasty. I'll <laughs> say this. Um, I've got three. And I figure you go first, then I'll do one. You, me, you, me, and then I'm, and then my third one leads to a separate point, quite sweetly and organically. Which, if you'll indulge me, then I'll go off on one about that. So the actual loose ends is a little bit of a tip of the iceberg, a tiny bit, um, because that's I've amazing, Sheppy. I've gone and gone with six now, right? Because you were okay. saying six, and I, so I could do two to your one, I guess. Mine will be very quick because yeah. they're just really well, silly, yeah. let's, basically. Let's just, well, let's jump yeah. in. I like it. Right, cool. but, but I don't think we need to go ahead and say what they're going to be because we're going to we're going to say. All right, like cracking. I mean, I guess that we do need to have a disclaimer. This is like full spoiler ahead, probably. I would have thought for most of this stuff. So. I guess, but most of these are for the people listening to this kind of pod. They'll have seen I these think, movies. I think people, all right? of these episodes are spoilers, right? I mean, I know someone who listened to the Majesty Secret Service pod, and they were like, "Oh my God, Tracy dies!" So it's you know, <laughs> so we can assume that you know we're doing sequels to things, and those, so in itself, we are going to be giving away stuff. I think that goes again, you know, without saying. But yeah, okay, episode seventeen or whatever we are now, spoilers. Um, good stuff. 
So two other quick things by way of intro on it. Like I just wanted to give a nod to uh, 1982 as a year because Sheppy, I set this question and then as we were tic-tacking on text and stuff like on this, I, you know, I, I didn't have anything else in the clip. It was, <laughs> it was typical me. I was just interested in what you had to say. Like, you know, I didn't have anything to bloody prepare. So um, I then um, actually, uh, in my prep for this, just tried to prompt myself and have a little think about where I might, you know, what I was interested in. And and I've gone some big hits. I've gone with some big hits uh, on mine, um, some perhaps quite obvious ones, but but I'm, I'm very interested in your thoughts on them and whether we can just quickly resolve them together. Um, but in doing the research, 1982, Sheppy, what a year for awesome and loose ends that we almost certainly won't be unpicking today but just things that need to be left like you know Blade Runner The Thing King of Comedy all uber ambiguous and all in 1982 maybe the loose end year but anyway just to say that that's nice <laughs> and um and I, I, I read I wrote this to you but I'll just uh, I'll say it for the benefit of the podders like you know this is not a loose end in my view but people out there you know journos and what have you um tend to say that the Shawshank has got the ultimate loose end but how did he possibly put the poster back afterwards yeah. and it's just a ridiculous loose end I think we I even see him crawl that. under it with the good yeah got strong blue tack at the top yeah it just doesn't make yeah, sense it, no no people have always been going on about that yeah you're absolutely right no you just attach it securely at the top it's a large poster, like at least an A1. And then, yeah, just go under it. <laughs> it's, yeah. I remember the culture supplement from the Sunday Times in 1994. Um, or, yeah, where they even had a whole thing, like, right in. So this is not a new, like, you know, they said this was, like, fresh in the cinema. I said, right in. How do they, spoilers, but how, do, how does Andy get the poster? And it's like, that's that's ludicrous. Uh, no, he just goes under it, isn't it? Absolutely. I've crawled through the bottom of enough posters in my time to know that it's very easy. Just make sure it's weighed down at the bottom so it doesn't roll up. That's annoying. We were all there at Village Video with our drop zone posters trying to spread it out on the floor and then it rolls up. like, a, like, like You just roll it the other way, Sheppy. Roll it the other way. That's the, the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I did. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I, I think we learned that together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining us with the biggest poster in the world, like a carpet, like <laughs> just yeah. trying to get yeah. it tamed. Um, <laughs> okay, Sheps, well, it will we'll go straight in. I have gone with six that will be quite quick fire, probably. Um, okay. That said, um, I'll go two to one then um, on this. But that said, my first two are probably my biggest two. So, um, but they, you know, and the first one, I've, I've gone chronologically. Have I gone chronologically? Yes, I have. Um, in terms of like age, because I just went like, I just thought, what came out that year? Let's just prompt myself, get my brain going again. What? So um, I will go chronologically and I'm going to start in 1980 with a little movie called Empire Strikes Back. And if you can help the world get their head around this one, Sheppy, we have a brother and sister later established get kissing. Spoilers, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> um, so, like, what I want to know, this, I think, speaks to your one around. Is there something else we haven't been told before? Is there some, you know, maybe they were playing a game before and we're coming at the end of the game and, like, you know, there was a thing. Are you... Are you asking why my, does Leia so brazenly kiss Luke? Is it the first time they kiss, or what? What led her to that moment? That's a good point because in the moment, 
I guess it's absolutely fine until you watch Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And then I guess the loose end is, is there ever a little, uh, sorry about the kids, like, you know, this is all quite okay. like, you know. Um, well, well, okay, well, but clarify what you meant about the game. What, what, what does well, that... Well, I just was, well, I guess that I, I was going a little bit more than like, you know, that, that that was just me being very stupid. I was just thinking, like, you know, because actually in that moment I'm putting in the knowledge that we have for Leia. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you something which has just popped in there. Okay, well, let's say this. So they obviously, I think, you know, she kisses Luke in that scene in Empire because she's having this huge situation with Han, and they've obviously for the last six months or whatever how long it's been, they've been, you know one-upmanship between Han and Leia. And so to get a rise out of Han, you know, she plants one Luke and she knows Han's jealous. What I will say is we're in Jedi and Luke says to Leia, it's you, Leia, you're my sister. And she says, I know, somehow I've always known. It's like, well, well, that raises some interesting questions more than anything else. Because, you know, it was all awkward until then. But, so Luke's like, what? What do you mean? But what about, you kissed me, dude. I mean, so that 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 makes it a bit more awkward. It does, and I think probably... But by the way, Lucas knew, right? I mean, he did know, because the original draft of the Star Wars Episode Four to be was, it was about twins. It was about a boy and a girl, and it was Luke and Leia. So then there's that sort of love triangle in episode four between Han and Luke and Leia. And it's like, you know, trying not to kid. Oh, good. And all that. So Luke fancy turn that set up and Lucas knew. And then you've got the kiss in Empire. So Luke, some Lucas is saying, somehow I always knew. It's like Lucas, purr. So you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Oh, it's like Oedipus, hold belt up. Don't, don't give yourself high fluting. <laughs> And I think of all of mine, Sheppy, that is the one that is the most sort of more of a just a mistake or just Lucas having a day off rather than being a loose end. But it is Look, one that I, I think... love Star Wars, but I think Lucas took more than one day off. <laughs> <laughs> There's no real way of explaining that, is there, apart from just no, I it's mean, an unfortunate it's, creepiness. It's an unfortunate creepiness. It's not a mistake. It's it they knew what they were doing. Um, they just did it, and that's it. Well, let me give you my other one, which is going to be more epic and more hilarious and um, something that I'm being so outrageous. I'm using this as an opportunity to settle um, a, a dispute that I'm, I'm going to say has been going for 30-plus years between you and I. Um, oh, I'm God. flashing Here forward to 1985. I knew it. I'm, I'm going outside a San Franciscan library. <laughs> I think it's the City Hall. City Hall, you're right. Oh, God, you knew. You knew. <laughs> oh, I knew the second you said it had been going on for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> so just for the listeners' context, there is a... I want to just quickly tell the story, Sheppy. Then I'm going to That's give cool. you the specific dialogue, which I've geeked out and just okay. read. And then I have... I, I'm going to say... Can I try life. and do the dialogue without... Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. You right. tell me how close I am to it. Yeah, yeah, let's do that in a sec. And, um, and I will say this for the listeners. I'm going to come to you with an apology because I think I've been wrong to a level. Like, I think there's still... What, a, still... what sort of apology is that? <laughs> <laughs> what, 
<laughs> no, I, I don't accept. <laughs> but no. all right, no, no, please go, go. Um, so yeah, we're, 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 we're a view to a kill. Uh, Roger Moore is with Stacey Sutton at City Hall. He's been cornered by a police chief and is being interrogated. And um, the police chief exchanges words with Bond. Um, Bond gives up his cover and um, and says that he's he's Bond, you know. And um, and then uh, and the police chief says, "Yeah, and I'm Dick Tracy," sort of thing. And you and I, <laughs> you maintained that um, Bond, and this is for thirty years, you know, rightly really, um, that Bond is a, a, a an international super spy and is known by everybody. And therefore, when the guy says he's Dick Tracy, he's he's alluding to another comic book character that he 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 is as well, you know, because James Bond yeah, is such a myth. Like, yeah, I'm Superman. You know. I'm Superman, and I maintained that actually this was Richard Tracy of the NY of the San Francisco PD, and uh, he happened to be called Dick Tracy because how could he possibly know who James Bond was doing his job? Like, do you know what I mean? And so we had that little friction going on for thirty years. Now, I I think. I think you're right in what he's attempting to do, um, although the character isn't named and he may well be called Richard Tracy as well. <laughs> Still, this is not an apology at all. And, um, but let's have a crack at the dialogue, Shappy, and I want to give you my nuance. Can you give me, give, give me the first line so I know? So, uh, you might need... Uh, well, no, maybe you won't. So the first line is, you, is this guy, the police guy, saying, you're under arrest. And then Stacy chimes in at that point. Oh, you don't understand. This is James Stock from the London Financial Times, oh, something like that. Bravo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got the paper right as well. Amazing. And, it, yeah. uh, and it's like, and he says, actually, Mr. Tracy, says, actually, <laughs> Inspector or whatever, um, the name is Bond, James Bond, right? It's, now, here's He's, the thing. And then, yeah, and then the, the, look, you haven't quite got that line right, Sheppy. Crucially, I'm going to say. The name is Bond. Well, what he says is, well, actually, Captain, and you were very, very disciplined not to do your amazing Roger then, Thank by the way. You. He goes, well, actually, Captain, I'm with the British Secret Service. The name is Bond, James Bond. And then there's a lovely little interplay of Is the, he? Are you? Yeah. Uh, yes, I am. Or, yeah, right? Is he? Yeah, a, amazing, um, Sheppy, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that amazing. Just... I, I do it a lot. <laughs> and then he gives it that, and I'm Dick Tracy. And, then, and I'm interested in you're still under arrest and Bond blasting with that massive hose. So here's where we need to just tie up a loose end and keep the debate going for another 30 years. I'm going to mm -hmm. say he's saying Dick Tracy to the British Secret Service information and not to the fact that he's Bond, James Bond. So I think oh. he doesn't know who Bond, James Bond is. He doesn't, how would he know? Only Scaramanga knows who Bond, James Bond I, is. I wouldn't lie to you, Jimbo. I would rather that be the reality. He's <laughs> like saying, I'm oh, Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy's a kind of a secret agent. You know, he's a policeman, but he's basically, you know, he's kind of a secret agent type dude. So it's like, I'm in the secret service and I'm Dick Tracy. I wish that were true. But there have been not just Scaramanga and not just people in the underworld, but throughout the continuity of Bond, such as it is, there have been like, I'm just going to say, what about in Diamonds Are Forever, not in my one, in the actual Diamonds Are Forever, after he has that great fight in the lift uh, with Peter Franks, and then he kills him, and Tiffany Case comes out, and Bond swaps the wallets, um, and so then she checks the dead man's wallet, and it has a Playboy card in it, and it's to James Bond. And she says, oh my God, you just killed James Bond. 
and, and she's just like some relatively low-level diamond smuggler, and she knows that, oh my God, you just killed James Bond. And he's like, is that how it was? Well, it goes to show, no one's going to talk more. So I'm just saying there's precedence, and there's precedence, and it doesn't prove me right. Um, but I, I'm saying that's my my defence towards him saying very Your other defence, I was thinking, was going to be if he was going for the British Secret Service, he'd be saying, and I'm with the FBI or something like. Do you know what I yeah, mean? That's, that's like, you know, but, but I think it's a name for a name, you know, and it's like I'm Bond, James Bond. Is he? So not is he in the Secret Service? I'm Bond, James Bond. Is he? Are you? Yes. Like, well, I'm Dick Tracy. So that's another. I, I, Again, I, I'm not even after total resolution. I think I would turn to dust and do a Martin McFly, Biff Tannen, and fade away if this was resolved. So I'm going to leave it like. I think that. we can I both have... agree to disagree on this one. I no, no, say... no. We can secretly know that I'm right. <laughs> that's fine. That's okay. I can live with that. <laughs> but that's that's oh, yeah. good. That's a nice loose end. And I like it. I, I will just say, though, like every time it happens, like in Diamonds or that, like a little bit of my soul dies because it just I, he's less I know, good at being not... a secret agent. Yeah. And then like the world feels yeah. less safe. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I wouldn't go that far. But yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of James Bond being internationally famous by not just super criminals. Yeah, I'm not, I don't like that. But I didn't, you know, I didn't write the film. Uh, but we can do we can do our own view to a kill at some point. A view to another kill. <laughs> um, yeah. So over stuff. to you, Sheppy. I've done two. Oh, there, well, this is this is my main one, um, uh, and it actually came to me last. I, but um, I put it as my number one because I think it's the best you say, and it's uh, is something that's been on my mind for many years. And it's from Trading Places, which now you might need to check this actually. Is Trading Places 1982? Because I think it might be, in which case, that's a very happy chance. Um, I think <laughs> Trading Places is 82. We can check that. People at home might have be a quick Google if you want. They might be like, what are you talking about? It's obviously 83. It's either 82 83. or 83. It's 83. Okay. Well, there you yeah. go. It was riding on. John Landis saw those films in 82 and he was like, aha. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough then. Um, well, they filmed it in 82, I assume. Anyway, <laughs> um, in Trading Places. Um, and so it's just one line, and it's um, when the Duke brothers are making the wager, um, and they're going to swap the rich man, poor man, Ackroyd and Murphy. Um, and you know, if we can frame him and have you know, Lewis do this, and yes, I'm sure he'll do, turn to crime like a duck to water. And then the line is like, you know, can we do that? And or something like that. And um, one of the Duke brothers says, we've done it before. This time it's for a good cause. And that, that's the line. And it's like, what the fuck? And it's never referred to ever again. Uh, I have my own theory on this, which I've thought about many years ago, actually. Um, but I'd love to hear what your take could possibly be. They've done it before. This time, it's for a good cause because they're they're doing a you know like a scientific experiment. Is there theory behind it? Yeah. Um, oh, do well, you have a, a, a theory? I, I feel like a a massive prequel is just yeah. ready for that. Sheps. I mean, 
it's got to be put someone in the White House, like a. You know. Oh my god, that's amazing! Or it's like a they were behind they Watergate or something, and yeah, they they turned they got like um, some cowboy actor and they turned him into the president. Yeah. The actor, which, by the way, that line in Back to the Future doesn't make any sense. It's like who's president in 1985? He, the chances of Marty McFly saying someone who Doc from 55 would know is crazy. So why would you say, tell me who's president in 30 years time? Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan, the actor. So that doesn't make sense. That's a totally different move to it. But in this case, I love what you've done. And I also love the fact that you've taken the idea of take, taking someone who's poor and, and made, made them rich because- It's a sister my, Dave. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah, they, they, they put Nixon in power or something. Um, that's really cool. And I never even considered it that way around. This is great. We've got to do a prequel uh, for Trading Place. Like, yeah, it's a great idea, Chefs. Trading Place <laughs> is the prequel. Um, but <laughs> but um, my theory uh, was that there's a third Duke brother um, and they, they took all his money and they sent him to the poorhouse and, and they fucked him. Um, because they never liked him, and that's that was always my thought for that. Uh, when, it's yeah, awesome uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah Amici, Bellamy, you bastards. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good stuff. Um, I'm going to say also one ships. Oh, just yes. quickly before you move on to that, I I feel like that's very interesting that they have both a prequel and if you've seen Coming to America, obviously they've got a sequel never made as well. Like you know, because they get their money back, we're back in business. Yeah. You know, yes, there's yes. a lot of people. So there's really a lot. Yeah. You know, I think if we weren't doing this loose ends episode, at some point I would come to a trading places. So I'm sure we can we can come back to this at some point and we can do a trading places full on. So we have to, yeah. Uh, it's good. It could even be like a Godfather two with like a prequel sequel in the same film, and we see how it all happens. Like, you know, they're like in their twenties, and it's the third Duke brother. I love oh, it because you yeah. have to have Eddie and Dan back if you can, right? If you oh, can. Well, yeah, okay, yes, 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 yes. That's true. Yes, yes, of course. And that's good too. They could meet the the, the destitute third brother who's been like fucked for the last 50, 60 years um, in, the, in the sequel and stuff. Let's put yeah. a pin in that because it's so juicy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. I love it. This is like, yeah, live uh, shoulders of giants, everybody. It's just coming <laughs> off the hip. Um, now, I'm going to say, mark this time moment because it makes me uncomfortable to say this, but there's one thing also that makes that that's in trading places. And I have to say a lie. And in this climate especially, and I don't want to half-ass it and say, quote, unquote, the N-word. I'm going to say it. I'm going to quote the film. So uh, just everybody brace yourself. So it's awkward. But one thing, if I could change just one thing in trading places, and I love trading places, even Ackroyd blacked up these days is like, oh, my God. But forgetting all of that for a second, um, one thing, all the way through, um, in regards to Eddie Murphy's character, Billy Ray, the two brothers, yeah, you've got Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici as the two brothers. And Ralph Bellamy always genuinely was warmer, apparently, to Eddie Murphy's Billy Ray. Whereas Amici, well, he wanted him to fail because he had to be a bet against him. 
So that's why Bellamy's being nicer. But he is being nicer. And also, there does seem to be a softer edge to him than, than the other brother, Don, Don Amici. Um, so at, when the penny drops for Murphy, when he's smoking that doobie, which I never got when I was a kid, and he's hiding in the toilet, you can do, and they come in, and that's why he's hiding in the toilet stall. Um, and he hears the plot, and so pay up by one, the bet. Um, and so they're going to, you know, that's all fine. And, they get, and then they talk about for one second, do you want to swap them back? And he says, I don't want Ackroyd to come back, not after what he's done, um, because you're know, crazy as Santa Claus. And then, he's, and then the brother says, like, um, so you want to keep Valentine on as CEO or, or whatever? And Don Amici says, you know, you think I'd let a nigger run our company? And then Bellamy says, of course not. Neither would I. And it's, you know, I just, if it was the other way around and Bellamy said the horrific word, it would be so, it would be even more painful to, for Murphy's character, especially because he was the uncular one to him. So that's, that's something that's been on my mind for maybe a decade of just like that, um, it's a good you know, it's been interesting that they chose that. And it, I don't know if it was a missed opportunity or if Landis made a decision or whatever, or maybe Bellamy didn't want to say the line. I don't know. Um, but anyway, that's, that I thought that would be extra vicious and horrible. Um, and so just whilst we're talking about trading places, that's another thing. So, so there you go. So that's mine. The, uh, good workshop. Yeah. That's a beautiful <laughs> edit in terms of script doctoring and what have you. It's a very good edit, that man, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I've got two quickies to follow up with. Yes, then. So I, I recently did a little uh, indie uh, fest. And so in 1989, Last Crusade, I just got a little um, silly little loose end that I observed. Um, and uh, it actually wasn't even me. It was G caught this. So there's a moment in Last Crusade, which you may remember, Sheppy, because it's another movie that we know forensically. But um, Last Crusade. Did you just say Last Crusade is not a movie? We know. No, I, know I said some... it. I said you will know this because you know. Oh, it's okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Someone might disagree with that. You're about to throw me your your Last Crusade Grail book at me <laughs> with all the pages <laughs> of notes. Um, but um, but so uh, Indy is meeting uh, um, Donovan for the first time, and he's uh, looking at the half tablet bit. You know, when he's at his party, and. Um, and basically, and um, it's all the exposition that you're going to need for the movie. Um, and um, <laughs> it is a party, like the Donovans are hosting a party at this point in time. And um, yeah, you're, you're ignoring your guests. Just a minute, my dear. <laughs> at, at that exact moment, um, as she's closing the door, she nods to uh, to Indy. And it's a mistake. It is a mistake, but we need to explore it. Um, she nods to Indy and then the, the camera pulls back because Spielberg's going to do with this one huge, big one taker. Um, and um, But when the camera pulls back, like Indy is just obsessed with the tablet. Like he's not looking at her. There's no way he was looking at her when she nodded. But right. She nodded like and then closed. The well, door. she's a socialite. <laughs> she feels absolutely obliged to do it. She can't help. It's muscle memory. It's trained her mother and the nuns at her school when she was growing up would wrap her hands with a ruler. You know, she, she, she can't help it. She's ingrained. She's a hostess and she's in hostess mode. So yeah, she's going to nod. 
Justice mode and and Indy's in his mode of just pure obsession. Yeah. It's not that he's yeah. that rude, but he's getting that. Yeah, he's ignoring this probably very nice champagne. He's using it to clean the thing, and yeah, he's it's he's, he's right in there. It's a missed opportunity. Yeah. You don't often get to see a villain's wife or give them a little bit of heart or a bit of a different edge. And mm-hmm. you know, Donovan then just goes off and has his own quest. You know, uh, but but she's. I mean, not you know. There's not the opportunity because he's not going to be able to ring home from the middle of Jordan, is he, and say we've nearly got this thing. But there's something there around. You know, they haven't. They could pull a thread there and make him a little bit more interesting. Maybe he's still a do good you baddie. Think, do you think? Um, well, first of all, let me say in case I forget that that you know that's Julian Glover's wife in real life. Mm. So that's that's a nice little bit of trivia. Um, second of all. Um, Oh, no, now I've said that, I've totally forgotten where I was going. Oh, yeah, do you think that this wife character is complicit? Do you think she is a baddie, or is she in the dark and she doesn't know how... She's in the dark. She She's doesn't not know in the room with them. I think we have to assume in the dark, yeah. And she doesn't know about his affiliation with the Nazis and so forth. And also, he's a bit of a, a cunt, right? Unless he's going to take... Well, obviously he's a cunt, but he's going to take the grail and so on. He's going to live forever. Do you think he's going to give some to her? Or is he going to be like, I've already spent 30 years with you. I think that's enough. See you later. <laughs> but this is, you know, this is just opening a whole can of worms. I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Well, anyway, I can't really tie up. I think you've done enough with her hostessing. I'm happy. Um, the, I'm going to flash forward two years to 1991, Sheppy. And this is a, a loose end that I'm, it's a hill I'm going to die on despite not being an expert in the field. The very end of Point Break. <clears throat> I believe Bodhi survives the wave. You know, we see it's a huge wave. But honestly, out here on some of the, when the weather gets mad in Australia, I've seen bigger ones. You know, people surfing the bigger ones. So I think someone as experienced as Bodhi could do like a bloody, you know, one of these free dives and get himself out of that situation. Pretty so you're saying he's not necessarily going to die. Yes. Um, well, and then it makes I mean, that he's not coming back a bit more ambiguous of Johnny Utah at the end, isn't it? And maybe he knows he's going to escape. But I, I've always sort of been a bit on the fence okay. as to whether he knows he's going to well, die I'll or say he's going to escape. We, within the absolute narrative of the film, what the director wants, what the writers are saying, what everything about that film is 100% saying is that he died. Whether or not in real life an experience ever could have, and then you could say, okay, but we're told this is the biggest wave of all time, so we can assume it is. Um, mm. Maybe in this point break universe, that is the biggest wave of all time. And <laughs> and and you know, and that's it, or whatever. But he's not coming back, is dead. Um, and we you know, and when you see him, you know, Swayze fall. Um, that's him dying. And yeah. So, so that's you know. So, so if there's a mistake there, it's that the way. I don't think it's a mistake, it. but I would say that given how awesome that movie is, I don't think it's unsequelable. To okay. suggest yeah. that Bodhi yes. didn't make but, it. But if if they did sequelize it in the nineties um, and they bring Bodhi back, Bodhi back, then um, that would you know, they could do it and say, oh no, I survived. But it would absolutely be one of those sequels, therefore, that I would despise because it would absolutely undo 
what had been 100% set up. Um, and, and also it would be awful, frankly, because the whole thing is that Bodhi is just living for that moment to die. And so if they did do a sequel and he survived, it would absolutely categorically destroy the, the soul, the, the, the texture, everything about that first film. It's all building to Bodhi dying on that, on that way. Um, but yeah, fair play. Um, fair play. Yeah, back, sure. to, back to you, Sheppy. I think that's a lovely uh, counter. I like it. Okay, now this one is just, it's, it's a loose thread because it's never followed up. It's um, Superman 2. Um, my question is, what happened to Miss F. Marker? Uh, right, so she turns up in the hot air balloon. She rescues Lex from prison. They get equipment, I'm not entirely sure where from, but they get equipment and they, they snow, snowmobile it to the Fortress of Solitude. And S. Marker and Lex are there. And then he finds out relevant information. And then he's like, let's, let's get out of here. And the last we see of Miss Tess Marker is they're both on this snowmobile. And he's like, South, Miss Tess Marker. And that's the last time we ever see her. So... And the next time we see Lex, it's when he turns up at the White House and says hi to um, Zod and everyone. And, and you just never see her again. Um, now, also, so, so that, that's really it. Um, Love it. What happened? Now, I'm going to say also, by the way, Lex isn't likely to have, like, you know, forgiven her from the first film because, you know, he's won. In the, he's got the necklace of kryptonite on suits and he's thrown him in the swimming pool and he has absolutely won and Tess Marker saves soups and he undoes the plan and Lex goes to prison. You could say, okay, well, Lex needed Tess Marker to redeem herself to get him out. But I'm just going to jump in and say, you know, is it, is it possible that there's a really dark scene that we never see in Superman 2, when he's like, South, Miss Tesmucker, and, and then he gets his revenge and he just shoots her in the back of the head or does something horrible to her and leaves her to die in the frozen tundra. And because he's like, you know, you, you might have got me out of prison, but I, I was only in prison because you freed Superman, who, by the way, I hate. And he undid my entire plan with the missiles. I could have had Costa del Lex. Everything was mine. So now I'm going to get my revenge, and that's why she never. Turns I think that's up it, again. Sheppy. I think that's why Dark. I thought that was genius. I think that's it, and it's one. It's I mean, it's it's a wonderful note of poor old Miss Tess, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. Or maybe maybe she goes back to her mum in Hackensack, New Jersey. Um, you know, we don't know. But yeah, it is. Or, you know, yes. Maybe if they had a continued, like if Richard Donner wasn't fired and so forth, and he just made, you know, like every three years or so, him and Reeves re-team, and they just keep making them. Maybe Tess Marker would have turned up again. And that, that's, you know, highly... I like your theory, though. I like that edge. I mean, Luther is one of the best baddies ever, isn't he? Gene Hackman's Luther, that is, really. And I think, um, you know, uh, yeah, that's a wonderful, like, off-screen things going south after going south yeah yeah oh (laughs) nice nice i like that that's good by the way 
there's something which is also, this is like a point two or 2.0, I want to mention in, um, in Superman 1, and I don't know if this is a loose thread or if it's just a mistake, but I'm going to mention it. And it's always been on the back of my mind, but actually it was pointed out to me, um, again, by someone who saw the film for the first time, that we know it takes Superman three years uh, to reach Earth from Krypton. We're told that absolutely it's law from the comics anyway, but also he's three as a baby when he reached Krypton, and he's three when he gets to Earth and meets Martin and Jonathan. Um, so it is three years. We're told it's three years, and there's evidence to support that it's three years. But later in Superman 1, when teenage uh, Kal-El is there in the fortress talking with Marlon Brando's ghost, and he and Joel, his dad, says, like, I've been dead for many thousands of your Earth years. And it's like, well, what the fuck are you talking about? What does that mean? Um, they kept it in. They wrote the script. Was it Brando going off on one and they just kept it in? Because they, what's that? I, that? I mean, I'm no scientist, Sheppy, but I feel that space will move in, like, even though it takes him three years, that could be about the speed of that pointy little shippy thing, right? Rather than the, the, the space and time that's passed since, you know, how you see your stars and they blew up yeah. whatever thousands yeah. years ago. So there's oh, something that, there, that's, that's making me happy. There is that something right there. And I'm, I think you cracked it by Joe. That's great. It's three years for Clark, but it's thousands of years for dead Drewell. Um, yeah. That's wonderful, actually. Because of it. the tech. <laughs> because of the, you know, traveling speed of light and stuff to yeah. slow down. That's uh, Einstein relativity and all of that. Uh, I feel a weight. That, by the way, is my favorite bit of Superman the movie and may, therefore maybe might be <laughs> my favorite bit of the of any superhero movie, maybe by definition, but just the, the voiceover of Brando in that moment, earning every... One of the dollars is paid, like, and the score yeah. really kicking in there. Man, amazing! Is that um, when um, it climaxes with the proper Superman theme, and you see the the ice face, and then you see suits for the first time? No, well, interesting. No, I'm thinking more of the bit. Sorry, I, I was thinking more of the traveling to Earth. I love right. that bit. I just there's something about it. Sheps gives me all the little tingles, like the. Amazing, amazing. I know you love your Krypton theme. Fair play. <laughs> no, well, that's great too. Absolutely. By the way, I'm sorry. I've just got one more question about suit whilst we're here. How does Lex know that a fragment of Superman's home planet would prove radioactive to him? Like what evidence is is there for that? Uh, you know, is it like because I'm pretty sure Lex says something like, you know, according to my calculations, and that's it's like, well, what, the, what does that mean according to your calculations? Does that mean if Earth exploded and I went to Krypton and then a bit of Earth rock landed, then it would kill me? I don't get it. And even if that were the case, how does Lex know? Um, he's like, you know, this stuff is lethal. I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> well, the interesting thing there these... is, yeah, mm. there must be some kind of tome in that big library of his that explains how, you know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, um, meteor 
Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm cool. I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I'll accept stuff. I'm not trying to pick things apart or, or shit on anything, but it does seem like a leap of logic to be like, why would it be lethal to him? You know, due to his dense molecular structure, okay, but even so, but fine, fine. It's Lex, it's Lex. He's, he's very, very blunt. So I'll take his word for it. I, I love that you went with uh, what happened to with Miss Tessmarker because I've got a film from 1995, Sheppy, often regarded as a classic. And I think there's three loose end characters. Now I'm being very ridiculous here. Um, and, you know, probably you don't need to see the resolution with any of them, but I'll just give them to you quickly. We're going to Heat and we're talking about um, Ashley Judd's character who has oh. just given the most ridiculous hand signal to obviously her husband in front of all of the police. So she's obviously going to the slammer. Her husband himself is obviously being picked up just a little bit further down the road. And then Edie, poor old Edie, waiting for Robert De Niro in the car, man. Like, right. not necessarily a loose end, but just a very dark last shot. But but also yeah. like, a, oh, we don't get any reaction. We just see her there, which is more haunting yeah. and the right choice. But I've thought about that before, about Pacino comes back to the airport after, you know, being there with Neil, guys, and then, like, tapping the glass, and, you know, one, you know the, the mimes fur to wind down the window. Like, you were here with Neil. He's dead. He ain't coming back. And, you know, come on, Edie. And so, yeah, I sort of, that scene has actually been played in my mind in the past. Um, so, yeah, that is dark, and poor, poor her. Um not necessarily your sense, but I wanted to just say that yeah. is definitely three characters where you're left thinking, well, oh, okay. <laughs> Edie's fucked. Um, she's fucked up. She, she won't be in trouble with the law or anything, but, you know, it's very up there. She was willing to give it all away. You know, it's just tragic. It's tragic. Whenever I watch that film and when, again, De Niro just being great and driving and he's been given the address of where Wayne Grow is, but he's home free and you see this turmoil and indecision and this angst in his face and he makes the choice, of course, to go to the hotel and that leads to his eventual death. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, that's great. But every time I see that film, I just, go, just keep driving. And even though I'm actually more on Pacino's side, I'm still just like, keep going, man. You know, um, as, as to the other two, I'm going to say this. Um, this is kind of like the point break thing in that within the, whether or not it's realistic or not, within the logic of the film, her hand signal from the balcony is not noticed. Um, it's it, even if it would be. Whatever. By the way, it's not like she's being like Jurassic Park with the flares. And like, Get out of here. <laughs> she's, you know, it's a little thing, and it's. If I remember correctly, she's standing on the balcony, and there's like the, the, the edge of the balcony and the banister type thing, and she does this little, you know, finger horizontal move. Yeah. And so it's obscure. You know, so you could say that the, the, the people, the police, might not see that. Kilmer sees that he is pulled over, but he has credentials and he's let go, and he, he's got turmoil because he's like, I'm never going to see Judd again. Um, but. Kilmer is home free. Kilmer gets away. Judd, from the police perspective, has upheld her side of the bargain so she doesn't get put in prison. Her kids and her will be taken care of and they won't be in trouble because as far as the police are concerned, she did 
do what the, you know what she said she was going to do. I so, think it is a weak point of the movie. I don't. I don't know if it's a weak point. It, I, 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 his disguise I isn't good enough, Sheppy. His disguise isn't good enough. Now. Look, it's, it's, he's the only person they're looking for. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a valid point. I won't dispute that. Um, it, yeah, fine. It's. It, I, I won't call it a mistake. I will call it perhaps you have to take a slight leap. Yeah. Um, and that's so a good. That's a good segue to the final one from me, which is just. I think it's one of those where it's less a loose end, more just a wishy. Every time I watch it, I just don't want that scene to be in it. One of those, right? So I just. Uh, so this is then flashing forward to a classic year, Sheppy, nineteen ninety nine, um, where heaps of great movies came out. Uh, but the Sixth Sense, there's just one tiny little scene. Where you've got um, you better Bruce say the title again. I don't oh. know if it blacked out on my end or if the audience at home heard it or not. So just just say the title. The title again. is The Sixth Sense, but you knew that already because he had a sixth sense about it. <laughs> really? I didn't think it was the sixth day. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, I knew it was the sixth sense, but just for the audience. Mister um, Adventure, Sheppy, can you imagine the one bit that might really just be a bit rubbish or not? been a while since I've seen that film. I'm, I'm more of an unbreakable and signs man myself. But uh, loose end, loose end. Um, it doesn't it? matter. No, I don't no, want to put you on the spot. But it's just no, 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 that's spot. okay. I enjoy it. It's a, it's a comfortable mungy spot, but nothing springs to mind. Um, it's just a, what, it's, yeah, it's just a moment where Bruce Willis is sitting with Tony Collette in her house. And then I think the kids, oh, I've forgotten the name of the kid, but Haley Joel Osmet um, comes home and... Um, and and you know has got his appointment with the doctor, um, but his mum kind of I, I'm trying to remember how they get out of the scene. But his mum like gets up and walks out of the room, and then Bruce and the kid catch up, sort of thing, you know, to keep the integrity of the whole thing. I mean, spoiler on a movie that's over twenty years, you know. Bruce well, that's true. Just... And by the way, I want to apologise to you because I really poo pooed the spoiler warning. But we're you know we're spoiling a lot of stuff, and unless we give a huge list written down. You know, on the website or something, saying if you haven't seen these films, we're going to spoil all of these films. That's what I so think, yeah. I was and we're not giving them a warning as to what we're doing either. <laughs> so it's just in yeah. six and yeah. Bruce is dead. Yeah. Sorry, it's true. Um, it's but true. like, and by the, and I don't like the argument of like, oh, it's over twenty years old. Ah, you know, um, there'll be there'll be know. Gen Z is coming to it, right? I guess we so can anyway. say uh, we can put like spoiler, and if you know at the beginning written down. Some films will be spoiled, and so as soon as you hear us say a film title, know that we're going to ruin that film. So yeah, that that might be a nice thing to do. Yeah, I think we nice. will. Yeah. But um, okay, so you're telling me Willis is dead, so that that's ruined forever. Um, <laughs> it's just it's just having them together, and you know, um, I guess in order for that to work, I guess the only thing that's um, possible. I mean. It helps keep the facade going for the whole movie, obviously. But just him, everything else can be explained away. His wife at the restaurant when she turns away from him and yada, yada. This is the only moment for me because you. it basically means that Bruce Willis's ghost consciousness snaps on at that precise second that he walks through the door. But that's it's just too much explanation needed for that moment. Otherwise... Him and Tony okay. Collette uh, yeah. are sat opposite each other, and he's not saying anything to well, her. Well, you could you just... could argue that towards the, the whole film, really, because like Willis doesn't realize he's dead, um, 
but he, you know, but the logic being though, even with the wife turning away in the restaurant and all of that, you know, he must know he's not talking with anyone. Yeah. Probably not doing any poos or wheeze or eating. You know, it's like he's got Patrick Swayze, Bodie and Sam Wheat hanging next to him the whole way through and he doesn't know what's going on. So it's like, yeah. So with that logic in mind, it's never explained how he doesn't end your thing about yeah the ghost logic you know he's like you know he's awake at that moment or whatever you can you know give it some sort of like um you know dreamlike logic as far as he's concerned but he just accepts everything that happens to him and no one you know says to him you're dead or isn't it weird that no one is talking to you and you don't go home you don't go to bed and you don't do any you know it's like you're not living any of your life outside of the scenes we're seeing you in, essentially, which is, I've never even thought of that. And I've met a lot of people, most people I'm sure haven't, because you accept the film logic that you're given. And I think the character is, you know, accepts the same logic um, as you would in a dream. That's, that's my answer to that. But it's, it's, it's a very like good the dream point. logic. Yeah. Nice shit. Nice. Well, look, what's what's your final one? Okay, well, uh, yeah, I have one more, but I also, I'm going to do a quick shout out. Um, I was having a conversation today with a listener, friend of the pod, Robin the Pob Potter. Um, we were just talking about Star Trek Generations today and Captain Harriman, uh, your friend, Alan Ruck, and it just made me remember uh, there is a loose end in that film, um, which, I, which I will mention now. At the beginning of Star Trek Generations, Kirk and Chekhov and um, Scotty are on the Enterprise B and they meet the helmsman and it's Sulu's daughter. And we've never heard of Sulu having a family or a wife, <laughs> but it's tacky, but, um, okay. but um, we're suddenly presented with this daughter. That's fine, no problem, you know, um, but it's like she's there and she has this little interaction with Kirk, um, and he's like, wow, but, and, and, and Chekhov says to him, you've met before, but she was, and you know, he holds his hand out, meaning she was very small, and she was this tall, meaning she was like six or something, you know, and Kirk's like, but that couldn't have been that long ago, and he's like, 12 years, 12 years. So there's a whole lot of, you know, backstory, which we've never heard of before, and that's absolutely fine. But that just that loose end, and also Kirk says, "Oh, your father must be very proud of you." And she kind of, in this sort of semi-ambiguous way, is like, "I hope so." But it's like, "Oh, so it's hinted at that they're not close." It's just like there's a very rich story there that's just hinted at very, very quickly, um, and and that's a loose end. It's nice. It's a nice loose end. It's like the trading places one. It's it's given more depth. Then it, it it perhaps deserves in a film in that film because I love Star Trek Generations. It's not great, um, but it's it's a lovely, lovely moment and a nice scene. It's like and you know when did they meet when she was like six or whatever and all this. Um, it's lovely. So I'm going to give a shout out to Star Trek Generations. And also, by the way, there's a book written by the excellent Peter David that actually ties that loose end up. And it was written in the 90s called The Captain's Daughter. And it's all about Sulu, and it shows how he met her mother, and it shows 
everything and it's sort of set over about 20 years really good um and it also explains her relationship with the father and it also has the scene when she's little and she meets kirk which as it happens is on the kobayashi maru simulator fucks it up for me uh, and it's a great book um so the loose end is tied up by someone much more talented than me um but it's it's lovely so anyway that's that that's my yeah. little extra extra shout out um starting generation but my third uh and final is um is a bond much like yours um and with rog much like yours uh, but it's uh, on the other end of the bond more spectrum with live and let die and again it's a kind of a miss test marker situation in that there are a lot of villains in live and let die who don't get their come up and who totally you would assume absolutely get away with it um now there's a throwaway line where Felix says that the the Philip of Soul restaurant in New Orleans and you would assume the same one in in New York has been raided so the people working at those dodgy restaurants with the fake floors and the revolving boots I once had a nasty turn in the booth um you see I can't not do a more impression but um they all get arrested we can assume because those restaurants have been raided by the feds but what about the fucking funeral folk you've got a whole community who who like you know who cover up this murder no one even cover it up they are complicit in the murder of an english agent and an american agent um and they put the coffin down on the body and that's cool and they they all get away with it like bond never knows how those agents die it's never solved as far as the audience <laughs> Concerned. it's like there's a whole community living in your lives and uh who absolutely get away with it and by the way what about that little cunt's like with the knife who kills the guy like at the beginning that like, who's a funeral is it yes he is never seen again he totally gets away with killing we see two agents but we could assume hundreds of people he absolutely gets away with it. um and bond is never away um so so there you go that's, that's, nice. that's my there yeah i don't know if you have any think bond must be the the franchise with the most loose ends i mean you know especially living and die yeah yeah fair most yeah. villains in in bond films will get their comeuppance you know it's very 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 rare that a villain doesn't die in a bond film and in in that film even if you forget about the whole town who cover up this murder the guy who stabs the the, the agents strutter and the other guy whose name i've forgotten um they never gets his come up never gets arrested uh and and with that in mind like this is like a bonus round villains who get away with it in live and let die you've also got the shop lady like stamping in heads just browsing thank you she she's in harlow but then she pops up as an air stewardess on the plane when they're going to take bond up in new orleans again and throw him out of the plane so she's not just someone who's on the payroll she's like more than that she's like you know she's there she's working in the shop she's in the air airplane and also by the way the the taxi guy he's heading on in 
he gets away with it as well. And yeah. and he's in New Orleans and he's also in New York. Maybe him and the plane shop lady are like uh, a couple and they travel everywhere <laughs> with uh, with Kananga and, and Tiki. So that's that's crazy. It's funny because it's my favourite Bond, Sheppy, but it's very messy. I like it. It's good. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not even... It's not a mistake. It's messy. It's not resolved, but that's kind of cool. I don't yeah. think it detracts from the film one bit. Um, it's great. That film does a very clever thing in that maybe it's just me, but you forget all about Teehee until he pops up at the end on the train. You're like, oh my God, Teehee. I, I forgot all about that, dude. Um, it's like, that's you know, the trading places. Oh, shout out, Quebec. So that's, that's weird, um, but I like it. And by the way, whilst we're on Live and Let Die, um, what about Baron Samadhi, for God's sake? I mean, okay, but I guess the question there is, the very last shot of Live and Let Die is him on the train. <laughs> and it's like, is that real? Is that happening? In that, Are we being told in this universe right at that moment that Baron Samadhi is on the front of the train? And he's presumably going to try and kill Bond, and he did survive the snakes. And and therefore, are we led to believe that he is superhuman, or maybe the snakes weren't poisonous? It was just that one, which was poisonous. But I should say venomous. Um, or, but then why would he sit on the front of the train? How's he meant to get off? He's like, this is my great hiding place. Teehee's in that mail sack i'm going to sit on the front of this train it's a big locomotive it's going very fast <laughs> he's like going sitting on the front being like ah. but then he's like oh wait how do i get off this i can't move i can't climb up i can't get around the side i'm just stuck here i'm gonna die um but are we also to assume it's that's actually not really a part of the film that's the beginning of the end credit sequence um or I also heard a, a theory that he's on the, a train to hell or the afterlife uh, and so forth. And that's what's going on there. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? That's stunning, Sheppy. I've just totally gone for the ride, so to speak, on that locomotive. You know, yeah. I've just never really. And then, you know, there's never been any anger from me that he hasn't turned up in Man with a Golden Gun or anything. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like just, yeah. It's fine. Nicknack as well, to a degree. I guess we assume Nicknack could just be put in prison when he gets back. Like, you know, oh, that, well, dude, yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's that just me all me. over that kind of ending, isn't he? Like, oh, leave the, yeah. Leave the well, well, it's, well, first of all, before um, I totally forget, I just want to mention Raiders of the Lost Ark. You've got the eye patch guy who poisons the dates and he gets away. You never see him again. Uh, so, so that he must be the brother or son, because uh, it's 1935, um, 36. You, yeah, is he the son or, or the father of uh, Yaz who stabs him up? Um, but yeah, he, he totally gets away with it. And thank you so much for mentioning Nick Nack in The Man with the Golden Gun, because let me say this. <laughs> so at the end of the film, he's, uh, he's put in that big wicker basket, uh, which is nice. And um, he's caught. He's not killed by Bond. And I, I, you know, so it's not really a loose end or anything. And you can absolutely, like you say, assume that he's handed over to the authorities at the end and he's sent away. But what I would like is a sequel all about Nick Mac 
Like, what happens to him? Does he find another alpha male criminal to latch onto and serve in prison after Scaramanga's death? Does he become his own boss, like his own little prison kingpin? Does he get out and start his own business as a butler or another criminal butler? Um, he's obviously a good cook with those mushrooms. Uh, maybe he goes legit and maybe he starts a restaurant. Maybe he teams up with Blofeld and they go to work together in one of those stainless steel restaurants that we're always hearing about. And that's a spin-off I'd like to see. Blofeld and Micmac going into the restaurant game together. Uh, what if Bond took Blofeld up on the offer about that stainless steel restaurant in Pure Eyes Only and then he goes and he goes, okay, I'm going to let you live. Where's my restaurant? And then he finds out the head chef is Knickknack. And now they have to work together. And that's like season five of this TV show where it's like under new management, like in Cheers. And that was like, you've got me have a needle bus in the air. And then it's, it's Bond. Um, it's like the Knickknack and Blofeld show. It could be called something. It could be called a little something in the kitchen. Uh, it could be called Tool Order. So I so think it could also be called We've Been Expecting You, Sheffy, something like that. You know, at least that would okay. be the restaurant yeah. tagline underneath the yeah. title. Nice. I like it. Yeah. Spinny um, <laughs> Be cat friendly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. There's a there's a hair in my soup. There's, there's a tail in the oven. Um, yes, uh, that's great. I actually have um another another loose end. Well not even yeah, well yeah, so it's Kind of a loose end. I mean, it's a question. Uh, continuing the Bond baddies and so forth. In Moonraker, what happens to the Master Race kids? Um, like, you know, we never see them that on the space station. We see them on the shuttle flying to space, which Bond and Goodhead are, 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 are piloting. And Bond turns on the monitor. Let's have a look at our cargo. And, you know, and the animals came two by two. Noah's Ark, this operation. And you see them all, you know, kissing and getting off and being all lovey-dovey on, on the shuttle. But then did they disembark? I mean, you, you would assume so when they get to that space station belonging to Drax. Um, or was there like when they dock and there's like a really awkward moment when Bond checks the camera again and they're all just fucking in some depraved space orgy? And Bond and Goodhead don't mention it and just sort of silently turn off the screen and awkwardly get out and just leave them to it. <laughs> and, and on that point, we never see them again. So when we, while Bond is hanging with Drax and, you know, and going through that and escaping and then killing Drax and all that, where are all the Master Race kids who are all meant to be you know, perfect specimens and they're going to procreate and they're going to be the new Adams and Eves? Um, of the earth but where where are they are they just chilling out uh having loads of sex presumably in their private quarters we only really see the main area and some of the corridors in that space station was there like a really nice place filled with cushions where we're all just going at it and by the way can we then also assume that they all just burn to death or explode or get blown out into space when the when the, the whole space station disintegrates and in, that's a horrible death. And also, are they all complicit, like Donovan's wife? Are they, like some of the chicks are, because, you know, you see them, you know, for one thing, when Bond is like, oh, he had a crush on me with a big snake, the anaconda, and they're 
they lure Bond to his almost death and they're all watching, enjoying watching him getting almost killed by the snake. So we know some of the chicks are, but the dudes, we don't see them doing anything nasty. They're just dupes. They're just there. They're like, hey, you want to go up to space and have loads of sex? And he's like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so they're just having a great time. Nice people, great time in space, and they have a horrible death, you would assume. So I don't know, any, any thoughts on that? <laughs> no, <laughs> they're dead. No, right? They're dead. They're a horrible death. Sex is bad. This is is it Cusp of eighties oh. Moonraker? You know, maybe that's uh, yeah, it, Cusp, it. Cusp. It's seventy nine. Yeah. Although, tell that to Bond. Tell that to Moore's Bond. He's the, the film ends with him having zero G <laughs> in front of the Queen and the President. So that's amazing. So sex does pay for some. Um, oh, by the way, speaking this... of eye patch from Raiden, what about Lao Che in your favourite film, Temple of Doom? Well, uh, we're not going to go there to... today, Sheppy. And I think well, I just want to say, Lao Che gets away with it, so he that's does. another thing. It's a great loose end. Ready, hopefully, for Indy 5, Sheppy. I'm hoping they've got some oh, good what, little the of Lao Che. <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't mind that. And well, I don't know, was there anything else about Moonraker or anything else? Like, if I have something else I want to mention whilst we want this. I just, I just say this is a quick, interesting little thing around that. Like, it's almost, you could argue the point that that is a deep behind the curtain cut when we see Bond at the end. It's a ridiculous ending, oft quoted around attempting re-entry. But the interesting point is, you've got, like you say, President, Prime Minister, they're all very happy with Bond. But publicly, they're probably, if we pull that thread, having to go out there and say, yeah, we lost 500 humping people on that space station. We're really like, you know, it's a deep tragedy. But but actually behind the curtain, in the war rooms and all the rest of it, they're like, Commander Bond, great work once again. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like... Yeah. Just... Well, I, I, you know, I mean, we can assume that everyone who died in space um, who were there procreate and so forth working for Drax they they knew that Drax was going to kill yeah. every single complicit yeah on the Earth. so I don't think that's really important but we're never told that um I have a I have something I'd like to mention about Temple of Doom which has been something on my mind for a while maybe I even mentioned it before but I'm going to mention it now since we're here um how many of the the villains the thuggies um from Temple of Doom how many of them are genuine thuggies and part of this cult and they're working for um, Mullerau? Or how many of them are, you know, local villagers or what have you? They've been made to drink the, the blood of Kali and they're in the black sleep. Um, is Chatelau under the influence of this blood or is he a knowing participant in Mullerau's plan? I don't know if we're ever told. He's so articulate at dinner, isn't he? You've got to think. Yeah. Probably. You hear that? A rock. Yeah, he's smug. I'll give I'm you not that. Really, yeah, not really thought about it like that, Sheppy. It's a good... But you're good. right, because normally when people are under the black sleep, they're not as articulate. They're more just like, ah. So <laughs> that's valid. But by the way, what happens to Chatelau is the last time we see him, he's like being crushed sort of, not to death, he just pinned down where that big wheel thing that makes the, yeah. the metal case come out. So does he get away? Is he just left there? Like, does he just starve to death because he can't get out? Let's go um, with that. Does, 
Coming <laughs> okay. back as well. The gang's all here. Um, does he just maybe someone helps him out and pulls him out, or maybe someone just comes in like, oh, bad luck. He's like, ah. Um, one one more thing, and actually my main point is, if the guards, the thuggies and the baddies, if at least some of them are innocents who have been made to drink the blood and now they're zombies, you know, and they need to be burnt with fire to snap them out of it, but they die and it's not really fair for them. And more to that point, if they are, if at least some of them under the influence of the black sleep, what happens to the ones who are thrown into the lava by Indy when they're fighting? Like if they're under the black sleep, do they then have a moment of clarity and then like sort of thankfulness, like they're falling and they're, and they're getting closer to the fire. So they're like, finally, I'm free. I can go home and see my wife and kids. Wait a minute, I'm on fire. I'm literally bursting into flames. I'm falling into lava. Uh, do they have this horrible 10 seconds of like perfect clarity and then they die a horrible death? That's it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's just indie has got a very interesting license to kill in those movies. It's very different rules, isn't it, in the world? Like, yeah. You know, well, that's that because is a he real doesn't one have rule a for me. to kill. Yes. He, he just, he will kill. And because he's in some backwater all the time, he's, he's above the law because <laughs> there is no law. So it's not even like he has a free get out of jail card like Bond does. He doesn't have a license to kill. There's just no one there to uphold the law. Apart from Philip Stone, and he doesn't mind. He's too busy. <laughs> so it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird stuff, but I like it. Um, so, so that's that. I wanted to mention that. Um, well, I, I feel like this is, this is a feature that now we've got it and established it with its own app. We can just drop mm -hmm. it in into a regular app, right? If we've got it, we're doing an episode and we've watched something yeah. and we think, oh, that's a good loose end. I'm just going to throw it in yeah. next week. You know, we'll just yeah. do it under any other business, Sheppy. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yes. Um, with that in mind, we'll be like, this, and, you know, this week's loose end. And by any listener, if there's any point you want to make to anything we've discussed regarding these loose ends, any uh, individual take or if you disagree with us or anything else please let us know and also if you have your own loose end you want to discuss absolutely let us know uh, that's wonderful any titles for the knickknack and blofeld restaurant show uh give us that as well i frankly am still pretty married to a little something in the kitchen um that, that <laughs> pretty happy. it's good stuff this was this was a blast. Shepard was nine. That's amazing. I mean, it's flown. I hope it has for yeah. our dear listeners. Um, I just um, <laughs> uh, you were very generously also said that I would be able to just actually have a second crack at setting us a challenge um, for the next week's ep, Sheppy. So I'm gonna. Well, it's, it's it's just because this was a, this is a special episode. So if I then chose the next film, it would throw off the you to me, you to me. So, so yes, please. Nice. What are we going to be discussing on our regular, back to regular scheduling uh, episode next week? Well, we we talked about him uh, passing away in in one movie, Sheppy, uh, already, Mister Swayze. So I'd like you to uh, do something similar to a Mrs. Doubtfire, something no one wants to see, probably. <laughs> Like a sequel to something potentially unsequelable. Um, let, let's see what you've got to say about Ghost 2. And you don't even have to call it that, Sheppy. But uh, let's, let's sequelize the 90s classic. And, um, is it 90? 
came out in 90 yeah it did yeah Yeah. amazing amazing sequel to ghost i'm all in it uh loving it brilliant yeah Uh, see what we can do but, uh, but yeah, man, nice. There's a few things that are very personal to us about our experience of this one as well, which I'm sure we'll throw in. Um, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, brilliant, man. Lovely. Any any last words to see us off this uh, this wonderful uh, Loose Ends podcast? God blimey, Shippy. You are always the best one at these. I can't I can't even think of something. Just uh, you know, a loose end is much like a phantom thread. I mean, that, that doesn't go anywhere, but that's, that's fine. As Captain Picard says in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Tapestry, I always regretted the loose ends of my life, but I discovered that if I pulled them, I would unra- unravel the tapestry of my existence. And I'll leave you with that, the ponder and chew. Loose you. ends, <laughs> leave them alone is what he's saying, and we haven't done that at all. So we have unraveled the point of our existence. I'm loving it. I'm all for that. <laughs> I love it, man. Nice. Thank you, Sheppy and Captain John Luke Picard, um, for the advice that we haven't taken. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.